hadith has been misunderstood by some to justify disobedience of the Holy Prophet ﷺ and Khulafa. And in this hadith, what we find is that the Prophet ﷺ never actually gave a command in the first place. That's a misunderstanding. So to use this hadith to justify disobeying the commands of the Prophet ﷺ is a misuse and a misleading use of this hadith. That hadith is narrated in Sahih Muslim multiple times and also in Ibn Majah. It's narrated that when the Prophet ﷺ saw people pollinating trees, he asked what they were doing. And when he was informed, it is related in one narration that he said that I do not find it to be of any use. This was not a command, this was his opinion. In another narration, he said that if you were not to do it, it might be good for you. Again, it is very clear he is giving a suggestion, not a command. In another narration, he said that it may perhaps be good for you if you do not do that. Again, something that is clearly a suggestion with the wording. In a narration in Ibn Majah, it is said that he said that if they did not do it, it would be better. Here he did not address the people who were doing it themselves, he did not give them a command. But he expressed his opinion to the people who were around him without speaking directly to those people. In another narration, he said that I do not think that this will do any good. Here also, he did not give any command, but he gave his opinion. So from the wording of the statement that the Holy Prophet ﷺ made, according to all these different narrations of this event, or perhaps a couple of events, Allah knows best, but it's very clear that there is a consistent strand here, that he did not give a direct commandment to those individuals. He used wording that was expressive of an opinion, that was very broad. And so to use this hadith to then say that in elsewhere when the Prophet ﷺ or a Khalifa has given a very clear commandment, that we use this hadith to justify disobedience of that command, this is something that's misleading, it's not correct. Now, when we see the common strand in these hadith, that he simply gave his opinion of what he thought was best, we see that he did not command them that they should not pollinate their trees. So when a Prophet or a Khalifa gives a personal opinion on something, then obedience is not binding. However, when a prophet or a khalifa chooses to give a command on something, then it becomes binding. Whether that order has to do with the spiritual world or with secular matters, the fact that a command has been given automatically makes it binding. Islam, the religion of Islam, gives commands about both spiritual and secular matters. And so if a prophet or khalifa chooses to give commands on secular matters, then it becomes binding just as obedience is binding on spiritual matters. Now explaining the meaning of the words that are found in Bayat that we will not disobey you in what is Maruf. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Rabi Rahimahullah explained that what this means is that which is above the Sharia. It doesn't mean that the Khalifa or the Prophet can command to do something against Sharia. And so Maruf applies to Sharia. But rather it is assumed that whatever the Prophet or Khalifa will command, it will be according to the Sharia. But in addition to that, what we are told is that whatever the Khalifa or the Prophet tells us to do that is maruf, that is known to be good, which is on top of what is good according to the Sharia, that we will also follow. So Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Rabbi Rahimahullah explained that with maruf, the gravity of the subject of bayt does not become lighter, rather it becomes more severe. Restrictions are increased, they are not decreased. There is no question of going contrary to the Sharia. He says that the restriction is that aside from the clear do's and don'ts of the Sharia, when he tells you to do something good of this world, then promise that you will not disobey in that either. Now each person is free to choose whether he wishes to give himself over to the Khalifa and Bayat or not. However, once we choose to give allegiance, then it's no longer our place to publicly disagree with the Khalifa of Allah or to try to define what his authority is. Because once we give Bayat, 
That is our choice. That is layak raha fiddin. There is no compulsion in religion. But once we have voluntarily surrendered ourselves and given ourselves in bayat, then it is our responsibility to follow and obey the Khalifa and everything. There is a clear example of this that at the time of Khilafat Ula, after the promised Messiah salam, it is narrated that in the course of a conversation with Saib Zadim Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed Wanhu, that Hazrat Khwaja Kamaluddin Wanhu observed as if casually and he said to him that Mia, we have slipped into a mistake which can be corrected only by our somehow defining the authority of the Khalifa. He suggested and he said that the Khalifa should take the Pledge of Allegiance from new members. He should lead prayer services. He should perform marriages and lead funeral prayers and nothing more. This was something that Hazrat Sahib Zada Sahib did not like when he heard it. He said to him and he addressed him and he said that it is too late for the entertainment of any such notion. You should have thought of this before taking the Pledge of Allegiance. The Khalifa has made it quite clear that the pledge would involve complete obedience. We took the pledge on this understanding. Our relationship with the Khalifa is now of master and servants. We have no right to define the authority of our master. So here we are taught that once we choose to give ourselves in bayat to a prophet or a Khalifa by accepting that he is the chosen one of God, then we forgo our right to try and limit his authority or define our, his authority ourselves. He is the master and we are the servant and slave. It's not the other way around. So a prophet or khalifa knows best what their authority is because they have been appointed to that authority by God Almighty Himself. Hazrat Muslim one who explained that obedience is necessary in all matters, including secular matters. There's one example of a secular matter that is found. He said that some time ago, a complaint was made to be about a debate that took place here. In it, the point being debated was on whether India should have a combined or a separate election. So this is clearly a secular matter, obviously. And he says that it is disrespectful, knowing that I have expressed my opinion on a subject to bring it under debate. He said that this debate happened despite the fact that I have expressed my opinion on this. So Huzur said that those matters about which God Almighty or His Messenger or His Khulafa have expressed their opinion, to debate about them is insolence and disrespectful. Someone could say that such debates are just trivialities, but can anyone disgrace his father and consider it trivial? So what Huzur has explained to us, what has been taught to us in etiquettes, is that the proper etiquette of disagreeing with the Khalifa is not to share that disagreement publicly, because that undermines the Khalifa. It doesn't mean that we are forbidden from disagreeing with the Khalifa or a Prophet. Of course we can have our disagreement, but we are to share it with the Khalifa directly. That is the way that is a proper etiquette. Hazrat Muslim who explained this in detail, that if you have a disagreement with me, it's not necessary that I am right on everything. I'm a human being. I can make human error at times. But you should share that disagreement with me directly. Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih Rabbi also explained this. In one majlis Irfan, he said that people come and they disagree with me here in this majlis, but they do it directly and they address me. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's done respectfully. Then he also gave the example that in the time of Hazrat Muslim in his majlis, at times people would come and share the disagreement that they had with him and then they would ask for clarification from him. So this is the proper etiquette of it. Islam does not forbid asking questions, rather it encourages questions. The difference between a believer and a disbeliever is that when a believer asks a question about a teaching of Islam, he asks from the perspective of understanding the greater wisdom of that teaching. When a disbeliever asks a question about a teaching of Islam, he asks from the perspective of understanding whether the teaching is true or false. To teach us this distinction, Allah Ta'ala tells us the story of how Hazrat Ibrahim salam asked Allah Almighty a question. And Allah Ta'ala said that, have you not believed? Hazrat Ibrahim salam said that, yes, 
but I ask this that my heart may be at ease. So a believer never stops asking questions. He just changes the way that he asks questions. For example, the people of Hazrat Musa asked a question. And Hazrat Musa asked the same question. About the people of Hazrat Musa Allah Almighty says that, Remember when you said, O Moses, we will by no means believe you until we see Allah face to face. Then the thunderbolt overtook them while you gazed. Now, the same question was also asked by Hazrat Musa salam. It is narrated that, it's, that when Hazrat Musa salam came to our appoint, at our appointed time and his Lord spoke to him, he said that, My Lord, show yourself to me that, my, that I may see you, that I may look at you. So this question was met with pleasure from Allah Almighty. So both of these were basically almost the same question. But one was asked from a perspective of defiance and the other was asked from a perspective of genuine curiosity. So this is the etiquettes of asking question in Islam. When a disbeliever asks a question, at times they ask it from a perspective of defiance and it is met with anger from Allah Almighty. Other times it is asked from a genuine curiosity, from a genuine seeking of the truth, and that is appreciated. In the same way, a believer who has already accepted a message, has accepted the truth of a message when they show munafiqat, and they ask a question from the perspective of defiance, then it is met with the displeasure of Allah Almighty. But a believer, if he does not understand something, if he asks from the perspective of gaining greater understanding and knowledge, then it is something that is appreciated. It is met with the pleasure of Allah Almighty. So this is the etiquettes of question, of questions as Islam has taught.